The following podcast is not meant for children or for liberals, even though that's pretty much the same thing these days. But that's what we're here for. Somebody's got to keep these brats in line. Anyway, you've been warned. It's the right opinion. These days, our media's either incompetent or malevolent. They don't believe in heaven, but they acting like they haven't sent. Knowing the truth is way harder than telling it. We gotta work harder, gotta be more intelligent. Sometimes we just gotta grab a mic and start yelling shit. We're living in times when it's hard to stay relevant. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Boom. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Right Opinion Podcast right here on the right opinion dot podbean dot com be sure to subscribe if you haven't done so already at the right opinion dot podbean dot com or just search the right opinion on iTunes Google Play or Stitcher and uh, there are multiple the right opinions apparently this one is the one that's black and white and red all over like the New York Times used to be and for that matter if you haven't done so already be sure to follow us on social media at Right Opinion Pod on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Parler. I'm also on Minds. I still haven't quite figured out what that is, and I'm not really at all active there. But if you're there, hit me up, and maybe I'll see a notification. Maybe it'll implore me to get on there and start doing some stuff on Minds. But I am going to start trying to be a little bit more active on Parler. I am incredibly active on Twitter uh, when I'm not at work, and uh, obviously, it's it's important to be. Um, the mainstream media has no interest in the truth. Um, they are making every concerted effort they can to shield you from it, as a matter of fact. And, I mean, I've, I've watched a litany of programming over the week. Steven Crowder in particular, they've been very good about this. They've been doing live riot streams, basically, over at louderwithcrowder.com and on the Blaze TV and on YouTube. And they basically just watch the live coverage of it from the news, usually from CNN, and they live fact-check it. And, really, CNN does everything they can to ignore all of the really violent, terrible stuff that's going on out there because they're still trying to paint the idea that these protests are largely peaceful. And before I get into just how unpeaceful some of them have actually been, I just want to say to the protesters out there, if you're protesting, you're peaceful, you're taking a knee, you're sitting in silence in a park, or whatever it is, you're holding signs, hats off to you. That is your First Amendment right to do so. This is a worthy cause that merits some attention and maybe some attention, you know, maybe maybe doing it the right way as opposed to doing it the ways that it's been done in the past will actually enact the change that you find folks are looking for. That said, if any element of your protest is violent, the protest is violent. And the reason I say that is because first and foremost, it should, it's incumbent upon you as a peaceful protester to call these people out if you see somebody spray painting on a building or throwing bricks at people or handing bricks to other peaceful protesters in an attempt to try to coerce them or at least persuade them to become violent. Those are the parties that need to be removed from your protest because they're giving your protest a bad name. They're also, by the way, throwing things at police officers. And look, if you're a cop, right, you're... You're standing there, you're looking at a crowd of hundreds, maybe thousands of people, and all of a sudden bricks start getting thrown at you. You're not sitting there trying to figure out which which people have been doing it the right way this whole time. 
Your life is now on the line. You have a very small police force versus a very large mob. And as we've seen over the course of the last few weeks, it doesn't take much to push these mobs over the edge from peaceful protests into full-blown chaos. And, I mean, I've had, I had a listener of mine who's from the UK who reached out to me and was, was trying to look for some gauge on how much damage has been done by all of this. How violent were these protests? Because, again, the media is lying to you. And if you're on Twitter, you're at least able to follow along the live streams and people that are giving video that aren't, obviously, those videos aren't making the news. But they're, like, I was watching the Steven Crowder thing. There was a government building burned in Tennessee, in Nashville, I believe. And Crowder and his crew had been watching CNN for four hours, and they had not once mentioned the burning government building in Nashville, Tennessee. I mean, yes, there's riots going on all over the place. But there's certain things that you'd think would, would kind of be prioritized over others. Like, for instance, a burning government building should probably get a little bit more... I don't know, airtime than the burning target or even for that matter, just the peaceful protest of everybody sitting in a park quietly, which is happening. And again, I applaud those people. You're doing it the right way. And I hope that you get the change that you're looking for because you're doing it the right way. Hopefully we could teach future generations how to do these things properly. But when you're a, when you're a police officer and you're facing down this mob and all of a sudden bricks start flying and Molotov cocktails start flying and stuff like that, you don't really have a whole lot of choice but to defend your life. And they didn't put themselves in this position. The protesters, specifically the rioters, which there is a distinction, those people put them in that position. They were just there to make sure everybody was safe while they were while they were protesting. And they were getting a lot of verbal shit for just being cops at these rallies because I'm still yet to actually have anybody from the Black Lives Matter movement or any person of color or any stupid white liberal that seems to think that this is, you know, like this massive deal that I'll get into some of the statistics as we move along here. I said last week it was not my place to start breaking out all of the racial injustices done by police, and I'm going to do some of that this week. But here's what I need from the protesters, from the people who are championing this cause. And again, what happened to George Floyd is a terrible thing. It does unfortunately happen to people of all colors all across the nation on on an unfortunately regular basis. These things are amplified by the media. We all know that, but they uh, nonetheless do happen. There are a lot that we don't hear about all the time. I believe his guy, guy name was Tommy Tempa. Tommy Tempa. He, he died the exact same way George Floyd died, except he was a white guy who was killed by a white cop. So we didn't talk about that at all. And it was only a few weeks before George Floyd died, but that didn't make the news, didn't start protests, didn't start riots and all that sort of stuff. So what I need from the protesters exactly, rather than these extraordinarily vague claims of systemic racism and all cops and all white people, if that's how you feel, if you think it's all cops and it's all white people, you are just mistaken. You're so woefully misinformed, I don't even have the ability to start trying to rein you back to reality. But for those of them that are out there that are a little bit more nuanced about this sort of stuff, what percentage of cops are doing this? What percentage of white people are racist? Are we going to ignore all of the white people that helped free the slaves or the white people that voted for the Civil Rights Act or the, vo- the white people that have marched in some of these rallies? I, are the are the are the super woke white liberals that are at these rallies taking knees, wearing masks, being quiet, not burning things to the ground? Are they racist, or are they there specifically because they're so racist? They finally, finally, as a result of the George Floyd death, have finally come to grips with their racism and they're there to atone. I don't think that's the case. I don't think most white people are racist. I don't think most people, period, are racist. 
It is really not, I'm, I'm by no means at any point during this podcast should you take any of what I'm saying as a specific defense of white people in general. I have no real attachment to them other than I am one of them. There are more white people that I dislike in this world than there are people of color. Um, to suggest that white people flock and move as this weird hive mind is sort of weird considering when white people, or for that matter, anybody looking at the facts uh, objectively say, oh, well, black people commit a lot of crimes. Does that mean it's, you know, that's all black people, right? No, that logic doesn't apply on either end, nor is it all cops, nor is it all white people, nor are all black people criminals, nor are all Hispanics illegals, nor are all Asians math whizzes. I mean, like, all of these things are racist, and, and for people to, to just use that as their baseline and then to go out into the world and pretend like they're these woke people who, oh, yeah, you know, like, uh, I'm out here standing for social justice. Let me be perfectly clear about social justice, racial justice, economic justice— uh, reproductive justice, Julian Castro. Justice requires precisely zero qualifiers. Justice is justice. Justice is, it doesn't need to be in a social aspect or an economic aspect. Justice is just justice. If there is a wrong that was done, it needs to be righted. Or at least if there was a wrong done, there needs to be a punishment doled out to those that did it wrong. There is no economic justice. There is no racial justice. There is no sexual justice, reproductive justice, gender justice, whatever the hell you want to throw in front of justice. There is no such thing. Justice requires no qualifiers. It just is what it is. If something bad, unjust happens in the world, something immoral happens in the world, it needs to be corrected, and the people who perpetrated that act need to be punished. That's justice. Moving on. So a lot of people were talking about some of these things that uh, that they're not seeing in the news. Obviously, we know there's riots. We know there's damage. We know there's a lot of stuff on fire. But what exactly is happening out there, and how bad is it? Well, unfortunately, it's even harder to find on the Internet, it appears. But I did manage to find a handful of articles, thanks to the good folks at DuckDuckGo. I'm going to go through a few of those here. And as I'm reading through these, the particularly some of these early going ones here that I'm talking about, I just want any, I want you to think, as just a rational human being, I don't care what your race, your gender, your sexual identity is. It's wholly irrelevant to me. Are you, a do are you a good person or are you a bad person? That's really all that matters to me at the end of the day. And obviously, we all know there's shades of gray to even that. But still, what does any of this have to do with George Floyd? How does any of this improve race relations in the country? How does any of this bring justice for the few people that are wronged by the police regardless of their color? How does, how does vilifying the police help communities of color? Who exactly do they think rushes in there to help them when there's gang violence, when there's crime going on in their neighborhood? I don't understand for the life of me the villainization of all police everywhere. There are For every one Derek Chauvin, there are thousands of police officers that put their lives on the line on a nightly basis to protect the very people that the, that the protesters are claiming they're going out of their way to kill. Again, we'll get into some of the statistics a little bit later on, but some of the damage. First article here, Military Times headline, protesters damage Veterans Affairs headquarters, several D.C. war monuments. Again, how does this help George Floyd? How does this help racial tensions? How does this help any sort of injustices that you think are out there? Veterans affairs? You know a lot of these veterans fought for your freedom, correct? I mean, like, uh, there's, 
obviously the, there's more elements to these protests than just black people, but the large swath of it is the BLM or just black people in general. I don't want to radicalize all black people all of a sudden because that would be stereotyping and racist unto itself. But there's a lot of people out there, a lot of people of color, particularly black people, that are talking about uh, their, their constant, um, you know, targeting, they're being constantly targeted by police and... I mean, okay, fair enough. If you've had, if, look, if you've had a lived experience, I'm not going to refute your experience. I'm just going to tell you it's your experience, and that there are many people out there that don't share that experience at all. So, I mean, yeah, you know what you think you know, but you don't have the full picture, nor do I, nor does any individual person. Which is why I like to rely on facts and data because that does give you the bigger picture in a somewhat objective manner. But the Department of Veterans Affairs headquarters and several notable veterans memorials in Washington, D.C. suffered damage Sunday night from protests in the nation's capital, part of a series of racially charged outbursts in cities throughout America over the last week. Unidentified attackers broke several windows and spray-painted curse words along the sides of VA's main offices, which sit a block away from the White House. What did the veterans do to you? Besides fight to continue to keep you free. I mean, anyone who ever fought in the Union side of the Civil War, they're veterans. They fought to free black people from slavery. Anybody who ever fought overseas for World War I, World War II, they were fighting to continue to keep all Americans free. And that includes black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, even while those people weren't necessarily being treated fairly or well here in America, those soldiers were still fighting to keep all of us free. The guys who stormed the beach in Normandy were not like, hmm, gee, I kind of hope the Nazis come to America and get rid of all the blacks. Like, that would be really cool. But other than that, you know, like, we're here to fight for freedom for everybody else. That's not how that breaks out at all. Not to mention the number of the thousands, if not millions, uh, of, of black people that have served in the military. How is this honoring their service to the country? Do their lives not matter? Is their sacrifice not, you know, worth note? Because I'll tell you right now, I think it's worth note, and I'm not a person of color, and uh, you know, I, I don't understand why we would be attacking veterans for defending the very freedoms that we have. Now, I get the protesters are claiming they don't have all the freedoms that the rest of us have, but they sure as fuck have a lot more freedoms than they would under Nazi Germany, or for that matter, really, virtually anywhere else in the world. That's another thing I'd like to hear from Black Lives Matter. Where is there a better place in the world to be a black person? Anywhere? I mean, like, name a place. Because even, you know, the UK, they've had their issues with race. There's plenty, obviously. You know, most of Europe is not particularly diverse. Um, where is there a better place to be a black person than in America? I mean, you want to say Canada? I'm like, fine. You want to be delusional and think Canada's better than America on any metric? Like, go for it. Go move there, then. I mean, uh, not that I'm trying to, dis you know, get rid of black people in this country. I got no qualms with black people. I got a lot more qualms with individuals than I ever do of groups as a whole outside of, you know, liberals. But that's neither here nor there at the moment. Um, if there is a better place in the world for black people, why aren't they moving there? Or for that matter, why aren't they at least pointing that out as an example as to, hey, why don't we do that here? I've heard no such example because I don't believe there's any such place. So we move on to the next article here from AJC.com. This is an Atlanta newspaper um, headline, Buckhead protests damage tab at 10 to $15 million. Protesters caused an estimated 10 to $15 million in, in property damage in Buckhead this weekend, a community group said Monday. 
Property damage was assessed for a four-mile stretch of Peachtree Road between Wooka Road and Peachtree Battle Avenue, said Buckhead Coalition President Sam Massell. The estimate did not include losses sustained from looting. So this is just one area in Atlanta, one four-mile stretch near Atlanta, where 10 to $15 million of damage was doled out, and that doesn't even include the stuff that was stolen from all those stores. That's just strictly property damage, graffiti, um, you know, uh, places being broken into, doors being broken, windows being broken, merchandise inside um, being damaged. That doesn't include all the stuff that was actually stolen. And that's just one four-mile stretch near Atlanta, or in Atlanta. That's 10 to $15 million. Now think about this. There are protests going on all over the country. All 50 states saw protests. Were all of them supremely violent? No. As a matter of fact, I'm actually kind of curious to see what some of these look like in some of these smaller, more traditionally white states. Like, what was the Black Lives Matter protest in Alaska looking like? That would have been something I would have liked to have seen on the news. But alas, we didn't get the luxury because our news has no interest in giving you any sort of view into reality. Moving on in the article, they did break into the Gucci store in Phipps and took some merchandise, but it was limited to the display area and was not inside the store. Because, you know, getting yourself a pair of uh, new Gucci shoes is obviously going to bring George Floyd back from the dead. I don't fully understand the idea behind running around and stealing stuff. And look, there's a there's a lot of elements to these riots. Bongino's broken it down uh, in three ways. There's the protesters, good. Rioters, not so good. Antifa, really, really bad. And you're going to hear a lot on the news that they're talking about these far-right groups. I've been watching all of the coverage. I'm yet to see a far-right group. The far-right groups that they're referring to, by the way, are the white nationalists, white supremacists. Um, they lump the Proud Boys in with that, even though they're hardly um, of any consequence as far as like a, yeah, a serious threat to anybody. But the white nationalists and the white supremacists they don't tend to hide themselves all that well. I mean, if you remember the Charlottesville rallies, they're marching in their Klan outfits, they're marching in their Nazi regalia. These are not people that are shy about how they feel. And uh, if they were to go anywhere near any of these protests and be revealed for what they are, there's a pretty strong likelihood they're not walking out of there with their life intact. So I, I again, I've been watching a lot of footage. I've heard a lot of pundits say that. I'm yet to see a single instance of far-right groups, which I still don't even lump in the white supremacists in with the far-right, but they insist on doing that. So let's roll with their terminology. I'm yet to see any evidence of the far-right being involved in this. I see a lot of Antifa, and I know, Antifa, they're not a, they're not even a real organization, Harrison. What are you talking about? Really? Because they have, like, Facebook pages, they have a name, they have a flag, they have a uniform, they have... S- extraordinarily similar tactics across the entire country. You mean to tell me that's not organized? That a bunch of fucking soy boy, mama's basement dwelling, 130 pound, 5 foot 8 fucking pimply goobers are somehow all acting on the same page without any level of organization? It's amazing. They should should teach those tactics to the rest of us. We can all have this wonderful hive mind and maybe everyone will just get along at the end of the day. It's Antifa. And they're a domestic terrorist organization, and they should be treated as such. And people want to say, oh, well, you know, it's hard, really hard to label like a domestic terrorist uh, organization. We do it with eco-terrorists all the time. Um, any of these groups that will go and, 
and free like lab animals or burn down testing facilities or any of that kind of stuff. Those are largely domestic terrorist groups. They've been labeled as such. They are investigated as such, and it's time for Antifa to join that list. Moving on to the next article from ClickOnDetroit.com. Headline, Preliminary Damage Estimates for Grand Rapids Riot Sets at 448,000. Protesters started fires, smashed windows, and looted businesses. Now, I'm going to imagine that this as well probably doesn't uh, account for what was looted. The preliminary damage estimates do not include other costs such as overtime for police and fire and items stolen by looters. So I was correct on that front there. Um, Obviously, none of this has anything to do with George Floyd. You know what really bugs me about all this? Why are we doing riots all across the country? George Floyd died in Minneapolis. If you guys are all so gung-ho about this, go to Minneapolis. Protest there. Let's go after the people that were actually responsible for this particular injustice. And oh, by the way, Derek Chauvin has not only been charged, he's been charged with third-degree murder, and that was up to second-degree murder, and they're going to try to, uh, to charge the other three officers with accessory to murder. So what more do we want? I mean, other than like a lynching, I, I don't see how much further we can push this And uh, certainly there's no further we could push this within the bounds of the law. So if we're all worried about Derek Chauvin and the Minneapolis Police Department and their actions in the case of the death of George Floyd, let's all go to Minneapolis and protest. The people in New York had nothing to do with uh, Derek Chauvin or George Floyd. And particularly, Donald Trump has nothing to do with any of this either. So the riots outside the White House are obviously nothing more than an extension of the temper tantrum from 2016 that has continued on because these people have no idea what's going on in the real world. They're worried about an evil, orange, bigoted fascist who wants to enslave people and all this sort of stuff. That guy does not reside in the White House, although the guy who does is particularly orange. I'll I'll, I'll give you a plus for that one. But the idea that Trump is this evil, tyrannical dictator. And then, you know what? We'll get back to the damage in a second here. I'm on a tirade. This whole bunker bitch and uh donnie in the bunker and uh bunker bunker president president bunker these people have no idea how anything works the secret service is there they have one job that job is to keep the president alive and well and when there's a massive riot outside the white house the job of them their job is to grab him and secure him and make sure that he's safe he has no choice in the matter. Frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if they physically would remove him if they needed to. So the Secret Service takes over in these sorts of situations. He had no choice but to go to his, quote, bunker, which is now being reported to be the Situation Room, which is not nearly a bunker. It's not like a sub-basement under the White House that's fortified with, you know, a hundred foot steel. That may very well exist, but that's not what he was doing at that moment. Flash forward 24 hours, he makes his speech, and he goes walking right outside the north fence of the White House, walks clean across the street through Lafayette Park over to St. John's Cathedral or St. John's Church that was burned down by the protesters. He didn't tell the Secret Service. They had no idea. The rioters that were cleared were cleared because they were in a place that they shouldn't have been, not because the president needed to go do a photo op. The guy went walked outside the walls of the White House while there's mobs of thousands of people all over the place trying to hurt him and 
yell at him and all this sort of stuff. He walked right through it. He didn't tell the Secret Service. By all accounts, there's no account that says that the Secret Service knew in advance. They walked across to that church. He, you know, stands there defiantly giving a middle finger to everybody who thought that burning down that church was a good idea. And, and, and again, what does burning down the church have anything to do with George Floyd? It doesn't. These people are not there for any sort of um, reasons related to justice, related to racial disparities related to police brutality they're there because they're whiny bitches and they still haven't gotten over the fact that donald trump is their president and will continue to be for the foreseeable future so um but yeah from bunker don to radical dictator he's just, he was hiding he was all scared he comes out and he proves just how unscared he is and now he's a dictator so as usual don't cater to the mob because there is no pleasing them ever Anyway, uh, so Detroit saw some serious, obviously, Grand Rapids saw almost like a half a million in damages, and that wasn't even the stuff that was looted or all the overtime that went in to uh, to the police and the fire departments that had to be deployed uh, in that particular instance, and that was probably even just like one night's worth of riots. Moving on to CBS Denver, taxpayers on the hook for damage to state buildings that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Vandals in Denver have now damaged nine state buildings, including the Colorado State Capitol, during the riots over the last few days. Graffiti marks every side of the Capitol, every set of stairs, every sign, parking lots, and even trees. Windows just recently replaced are boarded up, and lights that line this walkway are broken. So they are just destroying anything and everything in their path. And for what? You know what? I will I will give the people that are going after the government buildings some credit. The, the tiniest bit of credit. Because at least you're going after the institution that matters. Burning Target down doesn't do anything for anybody other than put what is on all likelihood a, a lot of people out of work. Many of which are people of color. Many of which are black lives. And I would imagine that their livelihoods matter if black lives matter actually practiced what they preached which they most certainly don't, and we will get to that at some point a little bit later on in this show. But we're talking, I mean, I'm just trying to give a little bit of a picture here of what's going on in all of these different cities um, throughout the country because just these little snapshots, you can imagine what the big picture looks like because, again, these were going on in every state, every major city across the country. Not all of them were as violent or as costly as the ones that I'm reading to you now, but a lot of them were, and a lot of them are going under, if not unreported, because the media is still pushing the narrative that these are mo- mostly peaceful, and they're trying to, they're trying to perpetuate the idea that police are acting violently and brutally, which is the premise of the protest, in responding to the violent aspects of the protest. So we got a police officer kills George Floyd, bad. Protest, good. Riots occur, and then the police respond to the riots, and then the media points at the police and says, see, they're being every bit as brutal and violent as we told you they were. That's not how this works, and no rational human being could possibly think that that is what's going on. Now, are there some police overstepping? Absolutely. Those police, fortunately, have been caught on camera in a number of instances, because I've seen those instances, and hopefully that is carried forward, and that justice is done as well. These people need to be fired. Problem is... Well, we'll get to that problem a little bit later on, too. I got one more or maybe a couple more articles here on the damage. New York Post, this is from June 4th, so from a few days ago. Minneapolis sees $55 million in damage looting during George Floyd's protest. The city of Minneapolis has tallied at least 
$55 million in property damage and looting stemming from protests demanding justice for George Floyd. At least 220 buildings have been set ablaze since Floyd was killed by officers on Memorial Day, and the city plans to look for outside aid to rebuild after the civil unrest. Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Frey will ask for state and federal funding to help repair the city, though the cost of damage could rise as protests continue through the Twin Cities and across the country. So that's $55 million. That's 220 buildings set on fire. Again, I hate to be repetitive here, but I feel like I need to be repetitive because you're probably not hearing these things anywhere else. How does this help George Floyd? How does this help race relations in this country? I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of people who are not as informed as myself or as you that are turning on the news and they're seeing Target or Gucci or Prada or whatever stores that are being aired on that particular news segment and they're seeing people in there looting. Guess what color most of those people are? And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that that makes it okay to make a wide sweeping generalization. What I'm saying is that there are people out there that will make that wide sweeping generalization. And if we're trying to fight stereotypes here, you know, being a person of color involved in looting during a riot, definitely not helping your own people in that instance. And again, I got no qualms with any particular group of people as a whole outside of just liberals in general. But, um, you know, if, if you think behaving the way that you're behaving is going to help race relations in this country. I'm sorry to tell you that there are more than enough people out there that are looking at the way you're behaving and saying, see, they're every bit as bad as we thought they were, or maybe they're as bad as everyone says they are. This is not helping anybody, anybody, other than the people who stole the brand new pair of Gucci shoes. They're doing okay. Good for them. Justice for Floyd, I guess. So I talked about this, or at least I teased it a little bit before. We're going to talk a little bit about Black Lives Matter, the movement, not whether or not they matter. They obviously matter. Black Lives Matter, Hispanic Lives Matter. How do Hispanics feel about all this and Asians, right? It seems to be like this big race war between whites and blacks. Like, where does everyone else fall? I'd like to be, I'd like to get some interviews from people, not me personally, but I'd like to see people out there being interviewed, like Hispanic people. Like, how do you feel about Black Lives Matter? Does your life not matter? Do Asian lives not matter? Do my life not matter? It's a very it's a very exclusive saying. When you're saying black lives matter, it makes it sound like you're saying black lives are the only lives that matter. And I know that that's not the point. Most of us do. I think we get the message. But when you then turn around and I say all lives matter, you're, oh, you're a racist. No, I'm quite, the, the, that statement quite literally means the opposite. It means that all Lives matter. Unlike Joe Biden, I know the Declaration of of Independence, and I know that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I didn't see an asterisk in there. I didn't see all white men are in there. It's all men are are created equal, and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We want you to have your life. We want you to have your liberty. We want you to pursue happiness. But how is any of what's going on here doing any of that for anybody? 
We've already got a coronavirus shenanigans that supposedly claimed over 100,000 people. We've got another 30 million people out of work, unable to pursue their happiness and maybe unable to continue their life, depending on how quickly they're going to be able to get food and shelter. Black lives matter. All lives matter. The two ideas don't necessarily need to run contradictory to one another, but that's apparently what is being told to everyone out there. And should you, God forbid, say something like, all lives, all lives matter. What do you mean all lives matter? I mean literally that. All lives matter. And I literally mean that because I'm pro-life. We'll get to that in a second. But I went to uh, I went to some resources, right? Like, obviously, I listen to a lot of conservative stuff. I, uh, I, I, you know, watch right-wing news, not always Fox, sometimes on the internet, Crowder and, you know, Daily Wire, Bongino, all that kind of stuff. I, I get my news from largely conservative outlets, which means I get my news from largely white people. That said, I was looking for an opportunity to get a little bit of perspective from not from just like a, not just from like the Larry Elders or the Candace Owenses of the world. I know where they stand. I wanted to find black people that aren't conservatives and try to get an understanding for how they're rationalizing all this sort of stuff. So I will tell you, I listened to a podcast um, by The Breaks Radio, a friend of mine, CEO Hayes, is the host over there. And he had a nice little roundtable, and they were talking about these issues. And there was a lot of passion and a lot of um, and a lot of knowledge and a lot of just good conversation that went on over there. And I, I was listening, and I wanted to... You know, I'm not virtue signaling here, but I, I don't know everything there is to know, period. I certainly don't know what it's like to be a black person in America. And once in a blue moon, that's the type of resource that I need to lean on in order to get a full perspective. Because I don't want to go charging into this, not because I'm worried about people calling me a racist. I just don't want to be ignorant, period. And racism is nothing short of a form of ignorance. So I went over to that. I listened to that, and there was a lot of really good points made. I suggest you guys check it out just in general, The Breaks Radio. It's really good. You can go to thebreaksmedia.com and check out all their stuff that they have over there. But then I went online and started looking for some articles. And if Black Lives Matter, here's my here's my issue with Black Lives Matter, is that I don't think they mean what they say. I, d I don't think they actually think Black Lives Matter. But they're black. Of course they think that Black Lives Matter. Do they? Because they seem to be focusing on these very rare instances where a white cop kills a black person, and these are these seem to be from my from what you would be told on the news, the biggest threat to black people in America is the police. I'm sorry to tell you that's just statistically not true, and so I was doing some research on black on black crime and all that other stuff, and I found an article from theroot.com. Now the root is a black website. They write news from a perspective of black people for black people. And uh, Michael Harriet wrote this particular article back in 2017. Why we never talk about black on black crime An answer to white America's most pressing question. I was like, awesome. He's actually addressing a question I've asked a million times before. Great. At least I know somebody's listening. But let's go into the article here. And it reads, and I quote, you've heard it before. It is the most frequent response to any accusation of police brutality. It is the repeated sleight of hand used to distract and drown out the voices of Black Lives Matter. It is an oft-used, 
alt-right refrain and a sincere query from curious white questioners. It is the weapon of choice for the black practitioners of respectability politics and the favorite follow-up for people who frame their arguments with the preamble, not all white people. Why don't black people ever talk about black-on-black crime? Instead of rejecting the entire notion as a method of deflection and privilege, we will attempt to formally dismiss the conversation forever by laying out the facts about why white Americans never hear us talk about black-on-black crime. It's not a thing. No, seriously, that's what he says. It's not a thing. Really? That's rather interesting because the statistics stay otherwise, even though he will cite these statistics here. Getting back into the article, according to the FBI's Uniform Crime Reporting Data in 2016, 90.1% of black victims of homicide were killed by other blacks, while 83.5% of whites were killed by other whites. While no life is inconsequential, the statistical evidence shows that just as for blacks, when it comes to black-on-black crime, whites are mostly victimized by other whites, with the vast majority of white murders committed by whites. This is because most victims of crime personally know their assailants. And while this is a truth across racial boundaries, no one ever talks about quote-unquote white-on-white crime, end quote. Well, and unfortunately... First of all, he's right. Those statistics do add up. I checked them out. They look to be correct. He somehow ignores the 7, 6.5, 6.6% higher rate that blacks kill other blacks than whites kill other whites. He also manages to completely ignore the fact that, unfortunately, black people commit far crime at a much greater rate than white people do. Let me give you the statistics from 2018 because they were the FBI statistics I was able to find uh, in a nice, neat little chart here. In 2018, according to the FBI, there were 2,600 black people killed by other black people. In that same year, there was 2,677 white people killed by other white people. Anybody seeing why that's weird? Well, that's because there's five times as many white people in the United States as there are black people, and yet there's the precise amount of crimes, essentially, between the two on their own race. So there's over 100 million white people in this country, and there's like 13 million black people in this country. Yet they're killing each other at the exact same rate. It seems like black-on-black crime is very much a thing, and it's happening at a rate five times greater than that of white people. Again, not a defense of white people. Plenty of fucking terrible white people out there. Some even consider myself to be one of them. I haven't killed anybody recently, although, as the days go on, that may change. But, um, yeah, the idea that black-on-black crime isn't a thing is a rather interesting argument, considering that, I mean, we... FBI statistics show that most violent crimes are committed by people of color, particularly black people, that most crimes are committed by black people. It's really like where you get into the white-collar crimes that white people start taking over because they're the ones who largely hold white-collar jobs for the most part. But I want to get into another article here that kind of shows a lot of statistics to back up my premise here and my argument of, uh, of, the, of the Root article that I just read to you. This is coming from The Daily Wire. We're back into right-wing, mostly white, Uh, news here. Just for the record, I want to make sure that 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 delineation is clear. The Daily Wire headline. This is from July 13, 2016. Seven statistics you need to know about black-on-black crime. Number one, 
Data shows that 93% of black homicides victims are killed by other blacks. The left's rebuttal is that 84% of white homicide victims are killed by other whites. But the Wall Street Journal's Jason Riley points out that white, the white crime rate is much lower than the black crime rate. Pretty much exactly what I just said there. Number two, according to Riley, this is again Jason Riley of the Wall Street Journal, blacks commit violent crimes at 7 to 10 times the rate that whites do. Blacks committed 52% of homicides between 1980 and 2008, despite composing just 13% of the population. Across the same time frame, whites committed 45% of homicides while composing 77% of the population, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics. Here are some more statistics from the FBI. In 2013, the FBI has black criminals carrying out 38% of murders compared to 31.1% for whites. The offender's race was unknown in 29.1%. What about violent crime more generally? FBI arrest rates are one way into this. Over the last three years of data, this would be 2011 and 2013, 38.5% of people arrested for murder, manslaughter, rape, robbery, and aggravated assault were black. Again, they make up 13% of the population. That's like, that's a, that means that they're disproportionately committing crime at almost like three times the rate that, that you would assume that they would. Number three, black crime is even more prevalent in the country's largest cities and counties. Heather McDonald writes in her book, The War on Cops, how the new attack on law and order makes everyone less safe. That in Chicago, Illinois, this is Chicago, you know, Barack's old backyard there. In Chicago, Illinois, blacks committed 76% of all homicides, despite composing only 35% of the city's population. Blacks also accounted for 78% of all juvenile arrests. Whites, who composed 28% of the city's population, committed 4% of its homicides and 3.5% of its juvenile arrests. Hispanics, just for an outside point of reference, who composed 30% of the population of Chicago, committed 19% of its homicides and 18% of its juvenile arrests. Another eye-opening fact from McDonald's research is that only 26% of murder cases were solved in Chicago. Interesting. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but that is interesting. Blacks are 10% of the population in Los Angeles, California, but commit 42% of its robberies, 34% of its felonies. Meanwhile, whites make up 29% of the city's population and commit 5% of its robberies and 13% of its felonies. I'm going to repeat this one more time. I'm not defending white people. I'm simply giving you a point of perspective here. In New York City, blacks committed 75% of all shootings, 70% of all robberies, and 66% of all violent crime, despite composing only 23% of the population, said Heather McDonald in a Hillsdale speech. Additionally, 2009 Bureau of Justice Statistics numbers show that in 2009, blacks were charged with 62% of robberies, 57% of murders, and 45% of assaults in the 75 biggest counties in the country, despite only comprising roughly 15% of the population in these counties. You're starting to get a picture here. I mean, again, I'm not saying it's all black people. As a matter of fact, the Root article, to give them some credit, uh, the Michael Harriet article I talked about before, statistically speaking, less than 1% of black people commit a violent crime at any point in a given year. Um, that is actually almost 2% of men and less than like a half a percent of women, which is another strange thing, right? If, if blacks are being targeted, why is it just black men? Yeah, once in a blue moon, you get the video of the woman who was harassed by a cop, and 
probably didn't make the situation any better by like trying to film it and like go through this whole process and obviously she's going into the situation with a predisposed notion uh, a predetermined notion that this cop is targeting her because she's black and that's why that particular instance that you see on that particular news story gets out of hand but why is it just why is it just men if you're if you're going to tell me that the police are targeting based on racial lines why are they only targeting men I mean, it could be said that the police target men in general, really. I mean, like, men get incarcerated at a drastically greater rate than women do. Why Why is it just black men? I mean, some people have their answers, right? We're trying to remove black men from the home and try to, you know, encourage more violence and, and kind of to keep them at an arm's length from society. I'm sure there's people out there that think that that's the mechanism by which they that, that this is this sort of thing is being accomplished, those are the same people that will tell you that the single parenthood rate in the black community has absolutely nothing to do with the disproportionate criminality and poverty and lack of education that statistically they have, unfortunately. Not saying it's all black people. Again, only only less, what is it, less than 1% of them actually commit a crime. So it's not, you know, 99% of black people are just fine, which is probably the case with police white people, Asian people, Hispanic people, illegal immigrants, pick your demographic. We're talking about a very, very, very small sliver of people that are actually causing the problems for those communities. And that's why I think it's incumbent on the police, on white people, on cops, on immigrants to call out the people that are doing it wrong because they're giving you all a bad name. Just seems logical to me, but then I don't know. I mean, I, I'm obviously, I'm obviously on the outside looking in on this one. I mean, that's just the, that's that's the way that this works. Number four in this article, there were almost six thousand blacks killed by other blacks in 2015. By contrast, only 258 blacks were killed by police gunfire that year. Six thousand blacks killed by other blacks, 258 killed by police gunfire that year. What's the problem here? Well, I mean, obviously, I know what the problem is, but what is the real problem here? Is it police killing blacks, or is it other blacks killing other blacks? 6,258. Somebody feel free to chime in if you got an explanation for that one. Number five. Actually, we're skipping number five because it's talking about a study from 1985, which is older than I am, so we're not even going to deal with that right now. Number six, according to Riley Black crime rates were lower in the 1940s and 1950s when black poverty was higher and racial discrimination was rampant and legal. So back then, when it was rampant and legal for cops to just basically do whatever they wanted to black people, the Civil Rights Act hadn't been signed yet, the black crime rate was lower then than it is now. So when the cops could be openly racist... Black people were getting arrested at a lower rate than they are today when presumably the racist cops have to at least shield their racism. Does that make any sort of sense to anybody? No, and it shouldn't. However, according to that, you know, in accordance with that, I will point out that the single motherhood rate was significantly lower for blacks back in the 1940s and 1950s and is now approaching 75% today, which again, getting back to my point before, leaves no father in the home, leaves, um, leaves, you know, obviously makes it harder for that household to be uh, less impoverished, makes it harder for 
that kid to receive the proper guidance that they're supposed to receive, maybe not getting as much of an emphasis on education. These these things are all factors in how anyone of any color, of any gender, could potentially grow up to be a criminal. If they grow up without any sort of emphasis on education, without a father figure in the home, without, you know, if they're worried about where they're going to find their next meal all the time, yeah, eventually somebody's going to have to go out and steal that next meal. And I'm not faulting anybody in that particular circumstance because feed yourself. You need to live shouldn't necessarily come at the expense of somebody else, but like I, I get the survival instinct of it all. But if, and Brookings Institute has talked about this, maybe I did this last episode, but I'll do it again. There's three things you can do in America to almost entirely eliminate your possibility of poverty. Graduate high school, get a job, don't have kids until you're married. That's it. And if you think about the, I mean, not, not, black people in general, but specifically the criminals that are black, and we look at them, not incredibly well-educated, usually only have a single parent in the home, usually don't have a regular job, or at least not one that they're holding down with any severity or seriousness. These things are factors. It's the gang lifestyle, the drug-dealing lifestyle, the, I mean, God, there was like a long period of time where the sentiment was like, if you were black and you were trying to get out of the hood, there was the only thing you could do was like learn how to play basketball or sling rocks. Like that was like it, or rap. If you weren't doing one of those three three things, you know, the the, the perception was like, yeah, I mean, I could go to school, but that's not going to really get there. The white man's always going to hold me down anyway, because that's the perception is that the I, the victim mentality of the black community, not of all the black community, because obviously there's plenty of successful black people in this country, and again, I, I challenge anyone to find a better country to be black in than America, but there's this mentality that you are always going to be held down, that there's always going to be somebody holding you down, and when you look at all of the successful black people in this country, all of them don't share that sentiment. No one was ever going to hold them down. And as a matter of fact, you would think you would hold it as a challenge. Oh, somebody's going to hold me down? Fuck that. Ain't nobody going to hold me down. And no, I didn't say ain't because I'm talking from the perspective of a black person there. Neither here nor there at the moment. I like to say ain't every so often. And uh, and there ain't nothing wrong with that. That's me saying that. So anyway, so but, but there's this mentality, this victimhood mentality that says that no matter how good you do, no matter how well you behave, you will always be held down. For that matter, no matter how well you behave, you'll always be targeted by police. No matter how well you do in school, you'll always be less than the white student going to Ivy League, even if you end up going to, to a regular state school or to a black school, an HBCU, you know, a historically black college or university or whatever it is. You're not going to be able to reach that level of success because the man, the white man, police, the government, all of these things are holding you down. And I'm I'm happy to report that you're actually right about that. It's just that the people that are holding you down are the Democrats, the ones that have been smiling at you and pretending that they're your friend this whole time. If you break from that, there's nothing to stop you from being a success in this country. There's nothing, certainly nothing to stop you from being a non-impoverished person in this country if you get an education, you get a job, and you get married and then have kids. And hi, for the record, those of you who know me personally— I'm not speaking hypocritically here. I had a I had a kid out of wedlock. My daughter, I never married my daughter's mother. We were together for a while. I was 20 when I found out um, that she was pregnant. We tried it, didn't work. She went her separate ways. She's married now. My kid is in a good spot. We get along. Everything's good there. But I'm, you know, I'm not pretending like I followed the rules here either. But I still found a way 
Perhaps because of my white privilege, I guess, would be the answer. But I still found a way to at least achieve a modicum of success, own a property, lease a car, have some nice things that I like to have on occasion, have a good job, have a good relationship with my kid, pay my child support, eat eat a nice meal every so often. Like, I'm by no means a success story, but I'm content to at least a certain extent. And that can be achieved by anybody in this country because that's what makes this country what it is. Moving on, number seven, according to McDonald, a straight line can be drawn between family breakdown and youth violence. Okay, this is exactly what I was just talking about. As economist Thomas, you know what, rather than me say it, let me let Thomas Sowell say it because Thomas Sowell's black and I, I defy anybody to call him a racist. As economist Thomas Sowell points out, before the 1960s, most black children were raised in two-parent families. In 2013, over 72% of blacks were born out of wedlock. In Cook County, which Chicago belongs to, 79% of blacks were born to single mothers in 2003, while only 15% of whites were born to single mothers. Until that gap closes, the crime gap won't close either, writes McDonald. And then that's the end of that particular article. So it's the look. It, there's there are other circumstances. Look, if you're um, if you're God knows. We, all right. So we just did. Uh, we just came through the coronavirus thing. Right. We're talking about all these models and all this sort of stuff. Garbage in, garbage out. Remember all that conversation in a particular model. Let's say you're tracking an infectious disease, for instance. There are so many variables Amount of travel, distance between people, you know, lockdown measures and uh, mitigations and all this other stuff. There's so many variables that can be brought into it. Comorbidities, gender, sex, race, yada, yada, yada. There's all of these different factors that go into this giant equation that eventually spit out a projection of what might be. So why is it then when we look at why black people struggle in this country, we only look at the color of their skin? First and foremost, that seems a little racist. Second of all... There are plenty of black people that don't struggle in this country. I know a lot of them. Uh, many of my, Most of my black friends are not fairly well off, but they're not by any means the stereotypical, you know, black criminal, whatever it is that, 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 that they want you to believe that we think black people all are. That's not the case at all. Most of my black friends are actually more successful than I am, which isn't to suggest that that's a surprise. They did everything the right way, the same way I did, actually, some of them did it without having a child out of wedlock. Some of them are smarter and more talented than I am, and that's just the way it goes. But at the end of the day, when we start looking at these communities as a whole, we just pick that one particular attribute, that one variable in this massive equation that determines your overall success, and that's that's the thing that you're looking at? Again, I'm trying to point to education. I'm pointing to socioeconomic class. I'm pointing to... Uh, single motherhood rates. These are a variety of things that each of which you can see a direct correlation between that particular issue and the particular crime in that neighborhood or that demographic or whatever it is. But the Black Lives Matter folks, the media folks, the Democrats will tell you that, nope, these people are having a hard time because they're black. They are graduating from school. They are getting jobs. They are getting married and then having kids, which statistically I just told you is not the case in most cases. If all if they could say all of that and then there's no other logical explanation as to why they're not succeeding as the rate at the same rate as whites and Asians and even Hispanics— Okay, now you got yourself a point. Now that's the one isolated variable we haven't accounted for. And yeah, all right, it looks like black people are having a tough time in America just because they're black. But that's not the case. And again, plenty of successful black people out there. 
they're as black as anybody else, as far as I'm aware. But, you know, if you go on Twitter, it's not always the case. Um, you know, anybody who ever dare steps off the Democratic voting plantation is considered a coon or an Uncle Tom or an Oreo, Candace Owens, Larry Elder, Kanye West. I mean, just go run down the list there. Anybody from the black community who ever speaks out and says any of the things I'm telling you right now, Ben Carson, Thomas Sowell, I mean, it just keeps on going. These people are raked over the coals. They're called, you know, race traitors and they're, they're, they're grifters and they're black, white supremacists. They're Clayton Bigsby from, uh, from, from the Chappelle Show skit, all that kind of stuff. None of them are allowed to actually voice their opinion. None of them are invited to roundtables where black communities are talking about these issues because no one wants to hear what they have to say because, frankly, they know they're fucking right and they don't want to admit it. That's it. Because if they, if they come to grips with the fact that their decisions are directly responsible for their situation, then they have to admit that they're failures. And no one wants to do that. It's the same reason that the feminists do what they do. It's the same reason that the gay rights people do what they do. It's the same reason that the trans people do what they do, that the Muslim community does what it does, that poor white rednecks do what they do, that modern day, look, man, I talk about it all the time. I'm a straight, white, male, conservative Trump supporter. I'm probably, yeah, I mean, it could be said that I'm fairly persecuted today, too. Do I ever let that really bother me? No, I don't. But at the end of the day, I mean, look at Twitter. I make any statement, and immediately it's pounced on by, oh, you're a racist, oh, you're this, oh, you're that. Really? You don't even know me, and I don't know you either, so I mean, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, but you're going to start throwing around those claims. You probably want to have a little bit of evidence to back it up. They don't. They're not interested in evidence. If they were interested in evidence, they'd at least hear, absorb, and then dismiss what you have to say. They don't get to the first two steps. They just go, oh, no, this guy's saying this guy's dropping some facts. He's got to be a racist. I, it, it just simply is is baffling to me. Furthermore, on the note of Black Lives Matter, because I talked about black-on-black crime, which is a thing, despite the fact that Michael Harriet is claiming that it's not, and the fact that he's willing to ignore like a 7% difference in the homicide rates, and the fact that the that crime is that murders are committed white-on-white versus black-on-black at the exact same empirical number, but White people make up about five times more of this country than black people do. He'll ignore all of that stuff. All right, how about we ignore this? I mentioned it before in pro-life. I believe black lives matter. I believe these black lives matter. More African-American babies are aborted than born in New York City. I'm going to repeat that. More African-American babies are aborted than born alive in New York City. That's from December 21st, 2018. Why don't those black lives matter? And if if black lives matter, why isn't black lives matter the group burning down Planned Parenthoods? The founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, basically pushed abortion onto the masses with the express purpose of reducing the black population. But nope, the party that supports the, the Planned Parenthood is the Democrats, and the and the black vote is 90% in favor of the Democrats. And oh, by the way, our federal government funds Planned Parenthood, who then turns around and donates money to the Democrats. It's just a big Ponzi scheme where the Democrats get elected, they get more funding for Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood then turns around and donates more money into the Democrat coffers, and that cycle continues until apparently all of the black children are dead in New York City. Why don't these lives matter? I know, they don't recognize them as lives, yada, yada, yada. Okay, fine, you don't recognize them as lives. I mean, you're, you're wrong 
and that's fine. I'm going to get at you at some point in the not-too-distant future nerd of the Voices of Misery podcast. We're going to talk about this. I'm going to flip this motherfucker pro-life if it kills me. But most more African-American babies are aborted than born alive in New York City in 2018. Again, why don't those lives matter? And why is that, by the way? Again, we talked about the single motherhood rate. Obviously, it would be much worse if all of these black babies were born because it doesn't sound like these babies were born in wedlock. But why is that even? Again, it's a lack of emphasis on education. It's a lack of emphasis on on really consequences as a whole because it's just these these communities, particularly the people that find themselves in these situations where they're getting arrested, running into the cops all the time, or having multiple abortions, these people have not learned any sort of lesson at any point in time. And I say these people, fuck. I've said these people a thousand times in this podcast. You know exactly what I mean, and I'm not fucking apologizing for it. These people were told that birth control is that, that abortions are essentially birth control and they're going out and they're sleeping with whoever. It's fine. Get your freak on. Like, I don't give a shit. I'm guilty of it myself. Again, have an out-of-wedlock out child myself. But why, why do we end up in these positions where there's so many black women that are pregnant out of wedlock that more of them are killing their child than they are raising them? Hats off to the ladies out there who raised them, by the way. I know that's not a very easy situation. I know it firsthand. I can only imagine what it's like being in New York City, not having some of the luxuries that I have, not because I'm white, but because of my particular socioeconomic class um, and the, 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 you know, the, the parents that raised me and the situation that I grew up in was pretty good. I can't complain all that much about it. I assume many of these people, not because they're black, but because they live in New York, really, um, and that they're finding themselves in these situations are not as lucky as I was. But Hats off to the women that are raising those kids. I hope that they can get a father figure in the home. I hope that they could stress education. I hope those kids grow up, they get jobs, they get married, they have kids, and they continue on a legacy of exceptionalism in within that particular bloodline. I, I hope better lives for everybody across every generation, across every race, across every gender, every sexual orientation. And no, it's not me virtue signaling. It's me explicitly stating exactly how I feel. And I... Treat everyone accordingly. You'll you'll go ahead, ask around the internet, ask the people who's you know I'm associated with on podcasts. I feel like most of which are people of color, but I don't know because I don't fucking care. It doesn't matter to me what color you are. It doesn't matter to me what your name is, what your what your what your nationality is, what your religion is. All that matters to me is my interaction with you and whether or not it's a pleasant one. And everyone I work with on the various podcast platforms that I work with are all awesome people, and it doesn't matter what color they are. It, it, it couldn't be less relevant. 90% of the time, I'm not even in the same room with any of these people, so it really wouldn't matter. I, I, I frankly might not have even known what some of their races are because a lot of the time we'll do Skype stuff and I don't even see their face. That certainly happened with me early on in my podcasting career. I wasn't doing a lot of video stuff. We were just hopping on shows and I'm talking to an avatar. I have no idea what that person's background is, what their race is, what their what their gender is. Well, I, I probably know, but I shouldn't assume, I guess. Anyway, so yeah, like I said, basically, I don't think Black Lives Matter thinks Black Lives Matter. I don't think they do, because if they did, they'd be burning down Planned Parenthoods. They'd be dur- burning down Democratic, uh, you know, national polling stations or whatever it is, you know, the headquarters for the DNC anywhere in your local town. That's the stuff that they would be burning down because those are the places that are causing the largest loss of black life. It is certainly not police. And by the way, let's get back to that for a second. Last year, according to the Washington Post, by no means a right-leaning outfit, the out the, the Amazon Post 
does a following on police shootings and, and breaks it down by race and by gender and yada, yada, yada. 2019, 235 black people were killed by police. Almost all of them male, by the way, getting back to my previous point. You know how many of them were unarmed? Nine. So all this talk, and by the way, one of those nine was in a high-speed chase with police and had a loaded handgun in the car. So that was considered unarmed. Nine. Nine unarmed black people killed in the United States in 2019 by police. We don't even know that those police were white. But we know that nine unarmed black people were killed by police in 2019. Now, as I feel like I always need to say, and I'll stress it again here, all of those losses of life are tragic. Even if those guys were doing something they shouldn't have been doing, it doesn't matter that we have a system in place for a reason. They should have been cuffed, they should have been brought in, and they should have been tried if they did do something wrong. Nine. Nine fucking people killed by police. And this is supposedly this mass extermination program that the police have against black people. 13% of the country, millions upon millions of, what was it, 40 million black people in this country, nine of them were killed by police in 2019. Nine unarmed people were killed. Even if you want to go to the 235 number, that's fine. Let's go to 235. I'm literally crunching the numbers right now. 235 divided by 40 million times 100 to give us the percentage, 0.00058% of black people were killed by police last year. Maybe the police are going to the Donald Trump school of racism because they're the worst fucking racist in the world. Trump, all he did was come into office and give the most funding to historically black colleges and universities and bring the lowest unemployment for the black community in the history of the country, in addition to doing all of the prison reform stuff that he was asked to do by members of the black community. That wasn't him assuming that prison reform was a black issue because he's, you know, a racist like the like the Democrats are just like, oh, we need to fix prison reform. We need to fix schools. Why is it that you talk about black people like they're all uneducated criminals? Because that's how they think of black people. And yet 90% of the black vote will go to the Democrats this time around. It's, it's, it's a head scratcher, man. I really don't have any sort of explanation for it at the end of the day. And uh, it, it does trouble me. I'm not going to lie. So let me get back into uh, to some of the stuff that I wanted to say uh, on the tail end. I went on such a tirade there. Thank you for hanging in on me here. A few more things before we head out the door. Larry Elder talked about him before. I am a little bit interested in this particular tweet that he talked about because if you pay attention to social media, the media in general, whatever it is, the Democrats, the blue check marks, the Hollywood elites, all that sort of stuff, the Krasensteins, whoever the fuck they are, I just don't even know how they got to any sort of prominence, but I am, I am determined to just make that woman's life a living hell. For those of you who know, the Krasenstein's are a couple brothers. They were tweeting under Trump, and they got booted from Twitter, and now one of the one of their wives has taken over the cause, and, man, I, I do enjoy throwing her stupidity back at her. I'm waiting for a response one of these days, but I'm not going to hold my breath because, let's face it, any interaction with me is just going to leave her in the fucking fetal position in the corner crying to her beta male husband. And so, like I was saying, if you listen to any of those people, Obviously, George Floyd's death was on Donald Trump, right? Like, I mean, he's been stoking the flames of racism for five years now, and yada yada, and he's a Nazi, and he called Mexicans animals, and yeah, all yeah, all this stuff, you know, all this all this shit they totally fucking fabricated in their own heads. The China virus is racist. Uh, calling MS-13 animals is racist. Uh, 
it's just it's silly at this point and anybody who's paying attention knows and, it, and like if you're out there and you're genuinely insulted by any of these things maybe you're part of the problem honestly i mean that's that's the only way i can really look at it at this point moving on larry elder says on twitter in response to this whole notion that donald trump is to is to blame for george floyd's death he points out that in 2015 freddie gray died the president was black, the U.S. Attorney General was black, the Baltimore mayor was black, the city council is mostly black, the police department head was black, the assistant police department head was black, the state attorney was black, three of the six cops charged in this murder were black, and the judge, who twice ruled not guilty, was also black. But that's institutional racism? How does that even comport? How does anybody see that? And I go, oh, yes, it's obviously the system bucking against black people. The president was black. The U.S. attorney general was black. The mayor was black. The city council was black. The police department head and his assistant both black. The state attorney black. Three of the six cops that were charged with killing him were black. And then the judge, who twice ruled not guilty on all those cases, also black. It doesn't add up, and it shouldn't. If it does add up to you, there, there's some deeper issues at foot and you guys have some comprehension issues but there was a response to this tweet from a random guy no no picture no profile picture i think he's got all of like three followers but it doesn't really matter because what he said is absolutely true and i think provides some context for what's going on today regarding the george floyd thing so we heard you know freddie gray died in baltimore all all of the people in power in and around that case were black but when we go ahead and we move into Minneapolis to see what's going on modern day. George Floyd died in Minneapolis at the hands of Minneapolis police. Well, Minneapolis has a Democrat mayor with a Democrat city council in a state with a Democrat governor and an AG that was a former head of the DNC. But of course, George Floyd was Trump's fault. See how none of this is actually making any sense? I hope that I'm painting this picture well because it seems like it's pretty obvious that it's just a bunch of malarkey. Oh my God, I'm starting to sound like Joe Biden now. Actually, no, I know where I am, at least, so I'm good there. But another thing that the Democrats caused some more problems with, I mean, obviously, they were in charge of all of both of those situations, the Freddie Gray situation and the Derek Chauvin situation. By the way, uh, speaking of AG Keith Ellison here, he upped the charges from third-degree murder to second-degree murder, which everyone was really happy about because people think that these things are like burns where it's like first degree, second degree, third degree, like these, like it's, it's a level of severity. Really what it ends up coming down to is that the charges are different, right? Third degree murder is, is basically there's an, there is some reckless, uh, aspect to it is that it wasn't necessarily going into it, looking to murder or hurt people, but some shit happened and, and they, they were reckless, and that resulted in the loss of life. First-degree murder is premeditation, which requires a lot more um, a lot more to prove because you not only have to prove that this person committed this murder, but you need to prove that they planned it out in advance. Second-degree murder is kind of in between there where the punishment is, is, is you know somewhere in between as far as severity, and it's also the standard by which that the prosecutor is going to have to meet in order to convict this person, is higher than a third degree, but not quite as high as first degree. In getting overzealous with these charges, I'm just throwing this out there now to warn everybody, there's a good chance Derek Chauvin gets off here. In addition to the fact that it's going to be almost impossible to find a impartial jury for him because of the magnitude of this case, if they can't prove second degree murder, he's going to walk. 
They, I have no doubt in my mind, as a matter of fact, I could probably prove third-degree murder because it's clear that he's being reckless, and it's being it's clear that he doesn't care. When you're watching the footage, he knows what he's doing. He knows he's on camera. He knows he's in broad daylight, and people are watching him, and he shows zero remorse for what he's doing. He doesn't even seem to recognize that he's doing anything wrong. That's depravity on a level, you know, previously undreamt of. Like, we, we that, I've never seen something like that, and and— you know, not not for nothing, everyone wants to assume this is a racial thing. Obviously, we know now that these two guys may have known each other. They worked at the same nightclub for a while doing security and that kind of stuff. I'm yet to see any evidence that this was a racial crime other than that the victim was black and that the perpetrator was white. You seem, If you remember back to all of the other race crimes that have occurred or all of the other incidents that have occurred over the last four years, anybody was involved in something like this. We went back, we checked all their social media, and it was very quick to find every racist thing they ever said, every Facebook group that they've been in where anything racist was ever said, anything they ever liked that could be redeemed mildly racist. I'm yet to see any of that about Derek Chauvin. And I don't know that he's not a racist, and I'm not defending the guy. I hope he rots in hell. He killed somebody in broad daylight and cold blood. As far as I'm concerned, throw the book at him. But there's no real indication that this was a racially motivated crime. As a matter of fact, I don't seem to I don't seem and to think that any hate crime charges are being pressed here. Maybe that's a federal thing, so Keith Ellison can't necessarily handle that directly. But it's going to be a really hard case if they try to push that in there as well, because at least to my knowledge, there's no actual evidence to show that he woke up that morning and was like, "I'm going to kill a black guy today." None. Again, not defending him. I hope he rots in hell. But. Another bit of damage that's being caused by a Democrat there. Keith Ellison is so excited to be, you know, in the center of the limelight regarding this case that he's going to get overzealous with the charges, which may be being done on purpose, right? Because if if Chauvin gets off, this whole thing starts again. The riots are going to be twice as bad if Chauvin gets off. So they better they better find charges that they can get to stick to this guy because Keith Ellison's ineptitude is not going to be accepted as an excuse for why all of the major cities in the country are burning down yet again. That said, speaking of Democrats causing more problems, we have a police problem, right? Like, it's not most police. It's not all police. It's not even a plurality of police. But there's hundreds of thousands of police officers in the United States, and some of them do stuff like Derek Chauvin has done. And some of them are possibly planting bricks around riot routes, and some of them are punching old women or whatever it is. There's some police out there. We've all seen the videos of police that have overreached, that have overstepped. A lot of those videos, by the way, I want to say are taken out of context but are missing some context. We don't always see what happened before. We don't always see what happened after, but we see what happened during, and we all assume the worst. There are some police out there that overextend their authority, much like there are governors out there that overextend their authority. No one seems to be all that pissed off about that. As a matter of fact, when people tried to protest that, they were called like Nazis and wanted to kill grandma because they're scary white people with guns on the steps of a government building in a state where you're allowed to open carry. But neither here nor there at the moment. The Democrats are the reason that police like this stay out on the streets. This particular officer has had like a long list of incidents in the past, and the prosecutor at the time was Amy Klobuchar. She didn't get rid of this guy, and maybe she wanted to, right? Let's be fair to Amy for a second here. Maybe she wanted to get rid of these guys. The problem is is that it's very very hard to get rid of even a very corrupt cop short of arresting him. Obviously, he can't be a cop if he's still in jail. 
but it's a, it's a very high bar that needs to be met in order to get rid of some of these officers. Why? Well, because of the Democrats' favorite thing, unions. Which brings me back to another article that I had here from The Atlantic, possibly the most liberal website in the world. How Police Unions and Arbitrators Keep Abusive Cops on the Streets. This is an article written in December 2nd of 2014. Officers fired for misconduct often appeal the decision and get reinstated by obscure judges and secretive proceedings. When Frank Serpico, the most famous police whistleblower in his generation, reflected on years of law enforcement corruption in the New York City Police Department, he assigned substantial blame to a commissioner who failed to hold rank-and-file cops accountable. That's the classic template for police abuse. Misbehaving cops are spared punishment by colleagues and bosses who cover for them. There are, of course, police officers who were fired for egregious misbehavior by commanding officers who decide that, given, that a given abuse makes them unfit for a badge and a gun. Yet all over the U.S., police unions help many of those cops to get their jobs back, often via secretive appeals geared to protect labor rights rather than public safety. Cops deemed unqualified by their own bosses are put back on the streets. Their colleagues get the message that police are all impervious to termination. And that's exactly correct. The wonderful, wonderful unions that the Democrats champion all the time are the precise reason why corrupt cops like Derek Chauvin are still, or were still, on the streets last Memorial Day weekend, and that cost George, George Floyd his life. I think it's disgusting, and I think it's Un, it's it's another one of these things. Like I cannot understand how this is getting past people. You've got Democrats out there with policies that put black people behind the eight ball, and then you've got unions that are supported by Democrats that are keeping corrupt cops on the streets so that they can kill more black people, presumably, according to their own thought processes. Then you've got Planned Parenthood, massive Democrat donor and uh, a favorite of the Democrats killing more black babies. Where at any point during that equation is any of this the Republicans' fault, white people in general's fault, conservatives' fault, Donald Trump's fault? Nowhere? That's what I thought, because I'm not fucking crazy. Am I? Maybe. Maybe a little bit. But this stuff is getting me there, I can tell you that much. And uh, that brings me to another stupid thing here. Um, the whole defund the police thing. And this is where I'm going to leave you, because I got some other stuff, but I'm, I'm, I'm done with it. I'm not talking about The Rock today and his stupid cries for a passionate leader. If you wanted to run for office, Rock, you probably would have run the primary, won the primary. You missed your chance. Shut the fuck up and go sit in the corner. And no, it's not because you're a person of color. It's because you're being a whiny bitch and you completely ignored the fact that Donald Trump has addressed this on multiple occasions. And you're also, for the record, ignoring the fact that anybody out there who seems to think that Donald Trump has anything to do with this has no desire to hear what he has to say about this anyway. I, I, I don't know what you would want him to do Mr. Johnson, but uh, maybe you should just go shoot Fast 10 and shut the fuck up about it. The only solution, according to thenation.com, is to defund the police. These are from the same clowns, obviously, that wanted to defund ICE. They have no respect for authority, because when, they're, when their people aren't in charge of the authority, things don't tend to go the way that they want them to, and that means that everybody's racist and evil, and the police need to go altogether. So... I will compromise with the hashtag defund the police people. Here's my proposal. Let's defund the police. Let's take all the money that we were paying the police. Let's subsidize anybody in that town or city or county that want to move out of said town or county. 
help them get out of there if they don't want to be in a county or a city that doesn't have police anymore. And then go the fuck ahead. Burn away. Because now everybody, every innocent soul that doesn't want to be there, anybody who's not complicit in your rioting, your chaos, and your stupidity are now safe outside of your city or your town or your state. Defund the police. Go for it. How much more crime you think is going to occur if you get rid of the police? How many more black lives are going to be lost if you defund the police? Who do you think is going to be safe if you defund the police? Is it going to be the impoverished black kid or is it going to be the rich white guy who could pay for private security? They want to defund ICE too. They because they again they have no respect for authority. They have no respect for rules. And I, by they, I don't mean black people. I mean liberals. The one group of people that I do have a problem with as a whole. And that's it. I'm I'm getting all fucking gassed up here. I can't really do this anymore. You know what? Let me play the as as I'm going out the door. I'm gonna play you Trump's statement about all this. The one that The Rock apparently didn't hear and was crying about. Um, it's it's moving and. I want to I want to actually tip a hat to the Donald because I think this is one of these few instances where yeah he's spoken about it here and there and he's done what he can but he hasn't done like a big like I'm going to sit down in the oval I'm going to do like a nightly broadcast kind of thing I'm going to make this big grandiose statement because I think he's aware enough to know that nothing he's going to say is going to help anything here I mean, what is he going to say that's going to appease Black Lives Matter? What's he going to say that's going to appease the left or the blue check marks on Twitter or The Rock or the rest of the, his Hollywood elite buddies? What is he going to say? He can he could propose policy, which I think they're in the process of doing. They can they can uh, he can he can you know virtue signal, which no one's going to believe anyway. He could say Black Lives Matter, and everyone's going to claim that he's just doing it for the political uh, aspect of things. So, what exactly could he say? That was going to ease the mind of these people that are freaking out about where's our compassionate leader? Where's Bunker Bunker Don and all yada yada yada? I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you where Bunker Don is. He was out and about recently, and he actually spoke about this incident, and I thought it was very moving. And his campaign put together a little video about it, which of course Twitter censored because they don't want you to know this was said because they want everyone else to be able to go. Where's Trump? Trump's in the Oval, where he's going to be for the next four and a half years. Get the fuck used to it. Get over yourselves, and let's start coming to the table. Maybe, maybe Black Lives Matter. Instead of being like, "Oh, I want, I don't want to go to that, pr- I don't want to go to the White House, I don't want to have talks with this guy. He's a fucking racist." Maybe go have a chat with him. He has black people in the White House all the time. The black voices for Trump are there pretty frequently these days. Go talk to the man, and then at least you could say you talked to him and that he he didn't tell you what you wanted to hear. Then you would have a gripe. That would be fine. But none of these black leaders want to meet with Trump. It's hard to imagine why, considering what happened to, Candace, uh, to Kanye West when he went, or what happens to Candace Owens every time she posts a video. Go talk to him. If he doesn't tell you what you want to hear, then you have all the right in the world to complain about it. But if you're not willing to have a dialogue with the man, I, I don't know what you want him to do. And again, you're not gonna you're not gonna care about what he has to say anyway, and you're gonna spin it into he's doing this for votes, he's doing this for politics, he's doing this because he was called out, he's doing this because he's afraid that black people are gonna kill him, or some stupid shit like that. And it's it's sad. It's sad that people are that deluded. And so let me just plug the plugs one more time. I'll play the Donald on the way out the door. Um, you can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, on Parlor at Right Opinion Pod, and more importantly, you could find this podcast on the rightopinion.podbean.com, or you could just search The Right Opinion on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or I guess Podbean, if you don't feel like typing in that whole URL, but you can also find us at ratsaladreview.com and hackerhameen.podbean.com, 
And uh, before I play the president for you here, I just want to remind you guys that opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one, but this asshole has the right opinion. You can find it right here on the right opinion.podbean.com. I'll talk to you guys next time. Peace. I understand the pain that people are feeling. The death of George Floyd on the streets of Minneapolis was a grave tragedy. It should never have happened. It has filled Americans all over the country with horror, anger, and grief. We support the right of peaceful protesters, and we hear their pleas. The voices of law-abiding citizens must be heard, and heard very loudly. We will stand with the family of George Floyd, with the peaceful protesters, and with every law-abiding citizen who wants decency, civility, safety, and security. But what we are now seeing on the streets of our cities has nothing to do with justice or with peace. The memory of George Floyd is being dishonored by rioters, looters, and anarchists. The violence and vandalism is being led by Antifa and other radical left-wing groups who are terrorizing the innocent, destroying jobs. This for no reason. The mobs are devastating the life's work of good people and destroying their dreams. We work so hard to get So hard. It harms those who have the least. We cannot and must not allow a small group of criminals and vandals to wreck our cities and lay waste to our communities. We must defend the rights of every citizen to live without violence, prejudice, or fear. Healing, not hatred, justice, not chaos, are the mission at hand. I stand before you as a friend and ally to every American seeking justice and peace. No one is more upset than fellow law enforcement officers by the small handful fail to abide by their oath to serve and protect. We support the overwhelming majority of police officers who are incredible in every way and devoted public servants. We must all work together as a society to expand opportunity and to create a future of greater dignity and promise for all of our people. Every citizen in every community has the right to be safe in their workplace, safe in their homes, and safe in our city streets. We are working toward a more just society, but that means building up, not tearing down, joining hands, not hurling fists, standing in solidarity, not surrendering to hostility. This is the sacred right of all Americans that I am totally determined to defend and will defend. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Boom. Boom.